welcome to Condensed Matter, condensing recent work in metaphysics and the philosophy of science down to what matters. I'm your host, Sam Kimpton Knight. focus of this episode is Harjit Bogle's article Nomothetic Explanation and Humanism About Laws of Nature, published in Oxford Studies in Metaphysics in 2020. Laws of nature concern regularities in the world. All ravens are black, opposite charges attract, force is equal to mass multiplied by acceleration. These regularities are good candidates for being laws of nature. But what, metaphysically speaking, are laws of nature? Metaphysicians of a Humean persuasion, let's call them Humeans, understand laws as descriptions of what goes on in the world. Let's make this idea a bit more precise. Call the spatio-temporal distribution of all fundamental property instances, things like charge, mass and so on, throughout the universe, the Humean mosaic. Humeans say that the laws of nature are features of a particularly efficient description of the Humean mosaic. Many philosophers find the Humean view of laws attractive because it's metaphysically lightweight, but it also faces some formidable challenges. In this paper, Harjit Vogel presents a unified response to these challenges. Let's first think about some famous challenges to Humeanism about laws. I just said that laws, according to Humeans, describe the mosaic of property instances distributed throughout space and time. It follows from this that Humean laws supervene on the mosaic. For one thing, call it A, to supervene on another, call it B, is for it to be the case that there could be no change in A without a corresponding change in B. So since the laws describe the mosaic, they supervene on the mosaic because there could be no change in the laws without a corresponding change in the mosaic that they describe. Non-supervenience objections aim to show that the laws do not supervene on the mosaic and hence that the Humean account of laws is wrong. Consider an empty world one with no property instances or individuals, just an empty space-time manifold. Such a world is consistent with both special relativity and general relativity. It follows that there are two distinct possible worlds, one that is empty but in which special relativity is the full story about space-time, and another that's empty but in which general relativity is the full story about space-time. But since the mosaics of these worlds are the same and their laws different, it follows that the laws do not supervene on the mosaic. Now, Humeans can, and probably should, bite the bullet here and just deny that the empty special relativity world and the empty general relativity world are really distinct metaphysical possibilities. But we can push the objection in a different way. Scientists will reason about the empty special relativity world and the empty general relativity world differently. They will say that it's true in the latter, but not the former, that if there were a massive object, then space-time would be curved. The problem, then, is that humanism doesn't do justice to this scientific reasoning because it doesn't recognise two distinct possibilities here. The non-fundamentality objection, quite simply, rejects the humian's reductive account of laws. Humians reduce laws to descriptions of the mosaic, but according to the non-fundamentality objection, this is at odds with the practice and attitudes of scientists who take laws as fundamental, unanalyzable primitives. The explanatory circularity objection goes as follows. Laws, according to the Humean, are explained by the mosaic, that is, they are explained by the spatio-temporal distribution of property instances, but laws are themselves supposed to explain what goes on in the world. That is to say, 
laws are supposed to explain the spatiotemporal distribution of properties. Putting these two explanatory claims together yields a tight explanatory circle. The mosaic explains the laws, and the laws explain the mosaic. But explanation cannot be circular like this, so humanism about laws must be false. Let's now think about Bogol's humanism and how it may overcome these objections. According to Bogol, the objections just mentioned all point to a divergence between the practice of science and the practice of Humean metaphysics. Humeans should accept the divergence between scientific and metaphysical notions of explanation, fundamentality, and possibility, and doing so yields responses to the problems. Let's see how this works. So reconsider the explanatory circularity objection first. Here Bogol draws on a suggestion originally made by Barry Lower. The key idea is that the mosaic metaphysically explains the laws of nature, and the laws of nature scientifically explain the mosaic. Bogol develops Lower's idea by introducing the notion of nomothetic explanation. Nomothetic explanations are scientific explanations where the laws play an explanatory role. The strategy then is to say that the mosaic metaphysically explains the laws, and the laws nomothetically explain the mosaic, but that we cannot chain these two explanations together to yield the problematic explanatory circle. Things are complicated by the fact that in some cases, nomothetic explanations do involve metaphysical explanations. So why in this particular case of the mosaic explaining the laws and the laws explaining the mosaic, can't we chain the explanation to yield a circle? To answer this question, Bogol appeals to the different values of metaphysical and scientific explanation. The value of metaphysical explanation, he suggests, is in limbing structure, and the value of scientific explanation is in providing unification, where we gain unification by reducing the number of phenomena that we need to accept independently. We can chain metaphysical explanations with nomothetic explanations only when doing so helps the cause of unification. But, crucially, chaining the metaphysical explanation of the laws in terms of the mosaic with the nomothetic explanation of the mosaic in terms of the laws does not help unification. In short, this is because it would tell us to understand a particular fact about the mosaic in terms of a huge number of additional distinct facts about the mosaic, and this isn't very unificatory. Let's think again about the fundamentality objection, according to which humanism about laws is at odds with science because science treats laws as fundamental, whereas humanism explains laws in terms of more fundamental facts about the mosaic. Bogle's response here appeals to the idea that the distinction between nomothetic and metaphysical explanation induces a distinction between nomothetic and metaphysical fundamentality. Something is fundamental if it is unexplained. Humeans say that the mosaic is metaphysically fundamental because it is metaphysically unexplained. But we can also say that something is nomothetically fundamental if it is nomothetically unexplained. And according to Bogle, some laws, laws of physics, for example, are nomothetically unexplained because they are the end point of unification. We can thus respect the apparent fundamentality of the laws by granting that they are nomothetically fundamental even if they aren't metaphysically fundamental. Finally, reconsider the objection according to which humanism cannot make sense of the scientific practice of distinguishing an empty special relativity world from an empty general relativity world because they do not recognise two distinct possibilities here. Bogle's suggestion is that the sense of possibility relevant to scientific practice is broader than metaphysical possibility. According to the Humean, it's not metaphysically possible that there is an empty special relativity world and an empty general relativity world, but it is nomothetically possible where to be nomothetically possible is simply to be logically consistent with a particular scientific theory. Laws do not supervene on mosaics in the space of nomothetically possible worlds, 
only in the space of metaphysically possible worlds. Hence, recognising nomothetic possibility as broader than metaphysical possibility allows the Humean to recognise a sense, relevant to scientific practice, in which both the empty special relativity world and the empty general relativity world are possible. So this notion of nomothetic possibility, understood as logical consistency with particular scientific theories, and which is broader than metaphysical possibility, is Bogle's innovation. He goes on to argue that it can also help the Humean to respond to puzzles about counterfactuals and chance, and, in general, to counterexamples involving nested counterfactuals that hold in virtue of the mosaic and the laws of a different world. Nomothetic possibility helps here because, as Bogle puts it, in the space of nomothetically possible worlds, there are looser restrictions on how mosaics can combine with laws, and so counterexamples cannot be generated in the same way. So the Humean can respond to problems that have plagued their view by recognising a sense of possibility, nomothetic possibility, that outstrips metaphysical possibility and the related notion of nomothetic explanation. The ability to provide a unified response to problems that is in keeping with Humean scruples would surely be a major boost for the Humean project. So perhaps this paper will reposition Humeanism as the front runner in the debate about the metaphysics of laws and modality. Having said that, the steadfast anti-Humeans will probably be less impressed by the mere ability to respond to objections to Humeanism in a way that's consistent with Humeanism. One gets the impression that at the root of the debate between Humeans and anti-Humeans is simply a clash of intuitions which is far more basic than worries about susceptibility or not to purported counterexamples. That is, a clash of intuitions about whether everything is metaphysically loose and separate, or whether there are some genuine metaphysical tethers in the world. But Bogle is certainly aware that for all its merits, his view may not chime with the steadfast anti-Humean. I do think, however, that a lot more work needs to be done on the notion of nomothetic possibility before Bogle's view can be said to herald a new Humean golden age. For example, there's lots of work on physical, metaphysical and logical possibility, and perhaps it's fair to say that we are quite close to having some pretty good understanding of how these modalities relate formally. But Bogle's remarks on nomothetic possibility, outstripping metaphysical possibility, are relatively brief, so I think more work needs to be done to elucidate the structure of nomothetic possibility in relation to the other varieties of possibility. I also wonder about the metaphysics of nomothetic possibility. Roughly speaking, I wonder if we should think of this type of possibility as just as real as, say, physical or metaphysical possibility. Newtonian mechanics is a false scientific theory, and we may take a scientific interest in very simple worlds that are consistent with this theory. But if these nomothetically possible worlds turn out to be metaphysically impossible, do we really want to say that they are on a par with the genuinely metaphysically possible worlds? Plausibly, we don't if we're to retain the distinction between metaphysical and nomothetic possibility that is integral to Bogle's Humeanism. But then we seem compelled to account for the metaphysics of these possibilities in some other way, perhaps along fictionalist or other anti-realist lines. One may then worry that if the type of possibility integral to scientific practice is to be understood along anti-realist lines, then this entails a form of scientific anti-realism. And this would certainly be a very strong and surprising implication of Bogol's humanism. Thanks for listening to Condensed Matter. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review on iTunes so that more people can find it. You can also share your thoughts and carry on the discussion on Twitter. My handle is at Kimpton Nye. That's at K-I-M-P-T-O-N-N-Y-E. 